Welcome back to Break the Twitch, the podcast on minimizing distractions and doing more of what matters. I am your host, Anthony Ungaro. And on this episode, I am being joined by Jessica Chung, who is a Minnesotan hand-lettering artist, leadership educator, and bullet journal blogger. Jessica is passionate about working with people to uncover their personal power and potential through connection, creative planning, and calligraphy. We talk about growth through journaling, how planning can help with flexibility, and maintaining your sanity as social media and technology move faster and faster. This podcast is brought to you by the Break the Twitch member community. The member community is how you can support Break the Twitch while getting exclusive access to online courses, resources, accountability challenges, and of course, a private Slack channel for members only. As of September 2018, if you're listening, there is a special deal for founding members right now. So check out breakthetwitch.com slash community to find out more. But for now, let's start the show. How did you get into education? What, what inspired you or led you down that path? My story starts with my parents who immigrated here. They fled from Vietnam hmm. back in during the war and after the war. And so there was, there's a lot of spoken priority about education all my life and about, you know, finding stability and like getting a good job and all that stuff. And so there was only one thing that I really knew that I was going to do in my life. And that was attend the university of Minnesota. And, um, what other details I didn't know, but I had to kind of navigate that whole system. And like, I ended up having a pretty good time, but I ended up in my college very haphazardly, mostly because I had to choose one and ended up <clears throat> actually at the Carlson school of management, mostly because I didn't want to do hard sciences and I didn't know what the college of education was. So it's <laughs> like, okay, great. Here I am. And I, didn't resonate very well with the stuff that was like kind of centrally sponsored by the school. Like they had certain clubs and stuff that were very tied to majors that I didn't really understand. And, um, so instead I just kind of followed doing other stuff that was interesting to me and then found out that I could work in the areas that I was having more fun doing. Like I was involved with orientation. I was involved with a lot of student organizations and leadership development stuff that I didn't realize was a thing until I was a junior. And so they were like, you can work in higher education if you wanted to, and you can go to grad school for this. And I said, great. <laughs> <laughs> it was a, a huge turning point for me. And I figured out that I really wanted to work in higher education with college students in this really cool time in their life. And so I went to grad school, which is something I never thought I would do. And then I came back here to work at the University of Minnesota, which I didn't realize that I would ever do and start teaching. And so it, it just has become like this unfolding passion of mine is working in education. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. Yeah. And you don't just educate uh, in your job or in the thing you do full time as well. Uh, I know you also run a YouTube channel and yeah. you do all kinds of things around bullet journaling and things like that. How did you get into that side of things? Oh, yes. Uh, 
I was an astute firstborn child, and when I got into my first job out of grad school, I was very fortunate. I loved my job, and so I put a lot of time, blood, sweat, tears into my job, and at some point, I was like, what else do I do? What else do I enjoy? What are my hobbies? I don't know what's happening here. And um, two things happened around the same time is that I decided I needed to do something just for myself. And I discovered the calligraphy and planner communities on Instagram back in 2015. And I was like, great. I have always loved letters and, and making beautiful letters when I was a kid and in, in college. And I was like, great, this is an easy thing for me to tap back into with some people who really enjoy art. And then the planner community, because I've been a planner for all my life and looked for systems that worked for me. And so I rediscovered the bullet journal back at that point. And I just wanted to document my process and go on and um, just show people like kind of my journey through all that. I started a new Instagram handle because my friends did not sign up for that. And so I just wanted a place for like to freely express my, my process. And it just kept building on itself. And I was like, okay, cool. Maybe I'll start a blog. Great. And I cannot help but bring in the elements that I talk about at work into those things. Mm, like, yeah. uh, as I look back, I realize that like my posts and my things are really not as much about the bullet journal or about calligraphy as it is about how to live your life or encouraging people to figure out how to self-author their own story. And, um, it's really become mostly that. On the, uh, the Instagram thing, the yeah. handle, this is something I'm very conflicted about because I had a very similar experience where, my personal one tends to be, I'm, I'm a multi-passionate person, I think oh, you yeah. say. And so my personal one tends to be a little here, a little there, a little biking, a little bit of this, that. And I started a separate break to Twitch Instagram account to just share things within that theme. And now I'm wondering, have I made more work for myself so that other people can get a distilled, more like minimalist focused version of the part they want? Yes. And I think the answer is yes, maybe. How has that been for you managing the two different things? Do you feel like it adds a lot or makes it easier? Well, I think I have kind of an invitation to people to look at either one, but I do keep, I do like keeping the personal and the more like businessy one separate because I, like you, have so many different interests and so many facets. And if I put all of those into one, it would already be pretty overwhelming. And it kind of tells people, like, what what is this about? So it makes it easier for them while keeping the possibility open that there's a lot more to it than this. That's my That's my thing is, like, making sure that people know that this is something and there's more. Yes. <laughs> Always more that we could do. That we're not one-dimensional humans, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. yeah. Because even within my uh, Instagram feed, there's there's still a lot of aspects that I'm able to express within that. And actually, that's what I thought about when I thought up my name, because I wanted it to be versatile enough that I could kind of still do whatever I wanted to do. I don't want to be boxed into any one particular thing, sure. so I kept it pretty broad. Oh, I hear that mm -hmm. boxed in mm -hmm. to the, let's talk about boxes. Yes. 
I feel like one of the things that I've read a lot on the internet of people that want to help you be successful online on the internet as an internet person say, you got to tell people, you got to niche down, you have to focus in oh my God. so people know exactly what you're Find doing. Find your competitive and, advantage. And- yes. And it's one of the things that I've personally really struggled with. So I'm really curious, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm really curious to know what your take is on this, having this thing. How do you approach the idea of a niche and does it feel restricting or does it, is it something that you found works well for you? That's oh a very gosh. broad question. Um, a couple of my immediate reactions are like, <gasps> um, <laughs> is the main one because I mean, I think that is, I'm in the business of growth. Like my focus in my job and in, in my life is growing and evolving and how to, How can we have a focus and have intention, but not necessarily have that limitation? And that's what's the hardest thing about this whole thing is that like now doing it for three years, I'm a very different person than I was when I started. And how terrifying it is that there are probably people who kind of expect that to have been the same Mm -hmm. the whole time. And so when we make ourselves more like a product than a person, then I think we lose a lot more than I'm willing to give, if that makes sense. So um, there are costs to that. There, I won't have like a booming e-course business or, or certain things, right? Because people are like, whoa, she didn't used to do that. I'm like, unfollow. Um, mm-hmm. But like, we're not static people. And... That's why I also love the bullet journal system is because it evolves every time you turn the page and understanding that like, you're going to be needing something different. You're going to focus on something different this week than you even did last week. Mm -hmm. So imagining like three years doing this, this stuff and I hope I'm different. So no, I don't really like that. I don't like commodifying humans as product. Mm -hmm. I understand the benefits of it though. Um, so that's a cost that I'm taking on by choosing something else, but sure. Yeah, it definitely, the whole traditional knowledge as I've, I've seen it is like pick a thing, be known for that thing, do that thing for years until you get big enough at that thing that you become this successful person. And I think the longest I've ever had a job (laughs) is three years and I'm right now coming up on three and a half years of break the twitch and it's constantly evolving. But like, that's why I went from, Oh man, minimalism and decluttering. This is what I need. This is the growth process. Mm -hmm. I got chills when you said evolving with each page, like, is that not an amazing analogy for our lives and just for these, this thing, because each step leads to the next. I just loved that. Yeah. And I, and I love talking about that with people because so often um, if you're interested in learning about the bullet journal system, you can always check out the website and look look at that. But it's basically like everything in one notebook and it's a blank notebook. You can put all your lists, all your schedules and things in it. Um, and what people have turned it into is really, can be really artistic, can be really simple, but it's all up to you. And there's endless number of blogs out there that 
have like different ideas for what you can do. And I am one of those. Yes. And when people ask me, what should I do? How should I lay this out? What should my uh, bullet journal be like? And I'm like, I don't know because it's up to you. And there's people who want to draw out weeks at a time. And I'm like, but what if you change between now and then? Mm-hmm. You're going to find out something works or doesn't work for you and there's no room then to change it. And how much worse is that for me, right? Like that's my thing is like you, having no room to grow and change. Mm-hmm. Uh, it That is unfathomable to me. But I understand that it also means that for some people that's really scary to not have a predetermined structure, right? Yeah. So when I encourage people to go from pre-planned notebooks that have everything that you know every day for the whole year whatever and go from that to a blank notebook mm-hmm. holy crap yeah. there's so much fear around that and like i don't want to mess it up i don't want to like do the wrong thing and i'm like nobody has to see your this notebook you know and how do you think life is and when students graduate i have so many conversations with them about how scary it is because you can actually do whatever you want your notebook is empty. The page is blank for you to create whatever you want to create. And yet, you know, even as a almost 30 year old, I find myself being like, can somebody just tell me what to do? <laughs> totally. hundred <laughs> percent. Someone just give me this page, you know, yeah. but it's, it's just like the ultimate metaphor for our lives. I think it is, <laughs> it is. Every page is, is blank. And, and that's one of the interesting things too, I think about being, uh, someone that, came from my position struggling in a predetermined kind of scholastic way through through school and having to sort of invent or figure out how to get through it in a way that worked for me. And, and I think that's a lot of what led me into the creative work and being an entrepreneur and, and doing video and all of these things kind of came out of my need to explore so it's so funny that I know like the system knowing what works and having this thing to fill in basically to mm-hmm. create your, your space is really helpful. And that's been helpful for me too. But also on the other side, the blank page is terrifying in so many ways. Oh yeah. You don't know if it's going to work. You don't know if it's going to like look good mm-hmm. or, you know, you've never done it before. So you, what if you run out of space or what if you, you know, try it and you hate it, you know, absolutely. Right. It's not like it's easy. <laughs> no. um, it's simple, but not easy. Yeah. In in simple, but not easy. That is, that's a lot of things, isn't it? <laughs> yes, sure is. <laughs> the process is simple, but it's not easy. So speaking of process, I'd love to jump back a little bit to you beginning a process of realizing your passion for calligraphy and making nice looking things for the rest of the world to enjoy that, that can't do so well. Uh, how did that start and evolve from that initial discovery, that passion? Maybe there wasn't a moment where you're like, ah, I'm going to do this. Yeah. But what did the process look like for learning how to do the beautiful calligraphy that I see you do? Yeah. I, I just remember just, first of all, like I started a whole new page so that I kind of let go of any expectations that anybody who knows me would have. I had to let go of that. Mm. Um, And finding the people who are already kind of doing it also. And 
just trying it out with whatever I had at the time. And it's this like information overload of like, holy crap, I've kicked open this door and now I'm looking around and it's a whole world that existed there that I didn't know. It's like when you realize that there's geocaches all around <laughs> us and you had no idea. Um, but being able to like see all of that and, and, and be inspired by it, sometimes overwhelmed, but um, finding ways to like do that every day was so good for me Hmm. like the pausing and like doing something that's just for myself and anybody else who's in like a helper or service field would probably also say that it's important that there's something that you do for yourself but i because i teach you don't see the the progress or the accomplishments of that very um consistently throughout time (laughs) so this is also a nice way to to see some progress in a physical tangible way um that kind of you know gave me something to look back at over time and i actually held on to those notebooks where i did all these drills and all these things and i look back at it and i'm like whoa but i always bring them when i teach calligraphy classes and because i know the story that we're telling ourselves because when we learn something as an adult we've already like taken on all of this baggage about what we're supposed to be able to do and look flawless as if we didn't put any effort into doing it at all. Oh my gosh. Yes. <laughs> we can't struggle openly about that stuff. Can we just struggle openly? Can like we Like a little bit? And, and what's funny is that like the people who do struggle openly, I'm thinking about like Glennon Doyle or like, you know, Brene Brown has kind of made her whole... Her vulnerability. Ugh, yeah, yeah, her whole business uh, she's become so popular based on struggling so openly and we laud her for that. But then when we try to have to do it ourselves, it is paralyzing. Um, so whenever I, I teach, I always pull out those notebooks because I am not here now where I was back then. And if we don't ever start, we're never going to have the possibility of even getting to there. Yeah. Um, so it's not very sexy. The learning of it is hard and sometimes I'm impatient and sometimes I did it just to check the box and you can tell because my drills looked terrible. But I think about there's this one um, image that I use where it's a it's a pair of ballerina's feet. It says everybody always wants the result without knowing what it took to get there. And there's the the ballet slipper on one foot and the other foot is bare and you can see all the scars and the wounds of the of the foot throughout all the practice Mm. and i have to remind myself of that because we we often only ever see the final product now especially on instagram you only see when people have put themselves together and they put their makeup on and they put their final draft out there so people don't know what the middle parts look like at all yeah and that part's messy as hell yes you know absolutely even now being in this, having been doing break the twitch, been doing this stuff, I struggle with this still where I see amazing calligraphy or I see amazing just uh, film work or photographic work and I look at it and in my brain, rationally, I know that that person has been working to get to that place for years or decades or however long. Rationally, I know that. But when I'm sitting there and I just see it, mm-hmm. another creator's work in in my front brain, I'm just like, yeah, they've always been able to do that. They're 
better than me in every way. And I suck. This, I, I suck. <laughs> the process behind getting there is just so tough. And that's been, again, a great learning experience and that kind of thing. But we're comparing our, our work in progress to these things that are polished and like, and, and I think there's been a push to be a little bit more open about that, where I've seen people, you know, they'll name these beautiful layouts took them uh, 50 hours. <laughs> and, and then I am able to be like, mm -mm, no, mm -mm. <laughs> beautiful. And ain't nobody got time for that. So uh -huh. it helps me kind of like contextualize the kind of effort and real work that it takes to put into something. Or I, I just try to be more open about like, well, this is my third draft or whatever. Um, just to give I love more. that. I've seen that. Yeah. And, and I love it. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's important for us to do because like we cannot break down all these false ideas about what it means to be human when we only put out the polished version. And it's definitely risky to put put less polished stuff out there but like then that, that's the humanity of it i think and mm -hmm. people are like oh my god me too i resonate with this whole process stuff so much because otherwise i think we blindly go through our lives doing the things that other people have told us that we need to do um another thing that has been on my mind since i'm turning 30 this year um but i remember because I have lived a pretty like checkbox life for a long time. And until I was like really grappling with going through my divorce, my friend and I went on this walk and she said to me, she's like, Jessica, your life is just so perfect. And I was like, oh, okay, <laughs> uh, hold on a second. And I, and I told her about what was going on under the surface. And she was like, And she, she honestly labels that conversation that day as the moment that we became friends. Mm. And um, truly, she's one of my best friends now. But it was, it was not because I had like all this stuff happening that people are like, oh, yeah, good job, good job. And it, it was because I was really real about what I was struggling with. And that came, of course, over time with her. But um, that's what I think we need to bring back into social media and... and the powerful thing about being people and brands that we are not just products. We are people, right? If you are used to living your life by other people's checklists, it, it becomes scarier and scarier to do something that's not. And I remember being in the, the spinning wheel, the hamster wheel of, of college and being like, what am I doing? And then finally like getting that, degree and then moving on to grad school, which was like, great, this is something that I'm really interested in. And so I'm much more passionate about this, but it was another hamster wheel, another set of check boxes. And at some point I was like, what is on my rubric of my life? And I was so grateful. I had a great mentor who helped me talk through that because he didn't really buy into all that, those structures and stuff as well intentioned as they are. Right. Um, and helped me start that practice of like, wait, is this really what I have to do? And it's like, no, but, um, continuing that over time and experimenting and failing a lot and, um, more so like, why not? Why not? What's the worst that could happen?
you know. What was some advice perhaps that helped you start acknowledging that shift? So when I started dealing with uh, anxiety, it's sort of like this anticipation of a bad outcome, right? Like that's what halts us from doing a lot of things. And so we get fixed on all these things and trying to problem solve for all the possible outcomes that could be bad. And we know that is impossible. It's not possible. There's going to be too much ambiguity and too many other things that we never could have anticipated come at us. But then what I found helpful was to think about all the reasons why I will be okay. Why I will figure it out, you know? And so I think about like, I've done this before. I've survived shit before. Uh, I am resourceful. I have people in my life around me that care about me and would help me, you know? And so there's, there's a lot of those things where it's like, okay, here are the things that mitigate the risk rather than just the doomsday. What's the worst that could happen, (laughs) you know? Um, and so that helps a lot for me. Yeah. That's (laughs) balancing. That is, is incredibly difficult. Balancing the risk versus the fear of extreme risk yeah. and, or even just not knowing. Yeah. And, 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 and that's the hard part too, is that like, not only do we not know all the risks that are out there, although we are very good at identifying all the risks. Um, the other things that we suck at predicting are all of the good and all of like the possibilities that will come from doing it because yeah. we can't imagine that. Yes. I love that there's something I can't even remember where I I got this, but when we're letting go of something, we know exactly what we're losing. We know exactly if I'm going to get rid of this cup, this glass, I am losing this glass. I will lose something to drink out of. I'll lose something to maybe enjoy visually, Mm -hmm. whatever it is. And it creates a space that we have no possible clue what we'll fill. Yes. And that is terrifying, but I've learned to embrace that more and more and more as, and many wonderful things can fill that space, greater things, bigger things, bigger purposes, bigger, uh, just adventures. Mm -hmm. And we just don't know, but that's so hard to grasp. Oh my God. Yes. When you are a teacher, you learn that you have to leave space for things to just happen in class. And so that you can have a longer conversation about it and debrief that. But I find that as humans, especially people who are always trying to do things in the world, that we pack our time pretty full, Um, whether, I don't know why, but it could be a whole lot of reasons, but it leaves very little room for whatever to come in and be possible. And like one of my friends is having a really hard time with uh, deciding whether to leave her job or not. She hates it. Hmm. absolutely hates it she's a talented human being but like what could happen she's very familiar with all the risks and it's it's impossible for her to imagine all of the the opportunities that might show up once the space is there and i remember too reading something about how when you declutter maybe this is from marie kondo um (laughs) where you leave a shelf empty because it leaves room for something else yeah and when I do my plans in my bullet journal, I try to honor that in my in my journal as well to leave space for something else because who am I to know everything ahead of time? Yeah. That's why I don't like five-year plans. 
right five-year plan <laughs> oh my gosh <laughs> i can understand why some people might work in that space but mm-hmm. like i said my i've had so many different interests and things that have collectively combined that i can can't fathom so much changes year to year oh yeah yeah around daily practices things that you found helps facilitate that growth mm-hmm. helps facilitate the learning curve of learning something like calligraphy or, or bullet journaling, what kind of things do do you do generally that, that help with that sort of thing? Yeah. I, uh, it's always, um, a, a struggle mostly because whatever happens, I need to think about, is this working? Is this not working? And why? I have learned through many experiments and failures, trying to learn those things uh, skills that like online courses are very difficult for me. (laughs) I like to be, um, going to a place at a designated time in person. I love that process and being able to be in community with other people learning. I can still force myself to sit down and do the e-courses and stuff like that. But, um, so knowing that preference in myself, knowing preferences in general help, and also embracing the fact that I am a kind of a lazy human, okay? And um, I'm not going to pretend like I'm a morning person. I can't read another article about how successful people make use of their mornings. No, thank you. I'm just not a morning person. I'm embracing it. Preach. And I will get something <laughs> done at 11 p.m., okay? Yeah. And um, I think just like leaning into those things instead of trying to change those things so desperately. I realize that I'm a person of moderation. And so if I go too extreme, I will burn it all out. Mm-hmm. If I focus too hard on something, I actually sabotage myself. So whether that is trying to be more mindful about eating or my consumption or creating waste or practicing certain things, I actually just have to casually bring it up to the forefront of my mind, but then not get, make it too big of a deal because I have found that the harder that I want to work on saving money, I spend it. The more that I want to focus on eating better, the more shit I eat. So there's just something about my personality that I just realized that, okay, I'm just going to bring a couple things casually to the forefront and do what I can to set up some structures that will work better. Like for example, if I'm trying to save money, one of my barriers has always been, I love hanging out with people and food is always central to that. Yes. And so taking the extra intentional step of suggesting things like a walk instead of a happy hour, you know, and try to do what I can to set myself up for success, but not to be so like diligent and intense about it. Otherwise, it's just, I, I'm done, right? Yeah. So those are the kinds of things that I have to do. Um, and then like setting out things to make it easier for myself, even if it's something like saying like, Alexa, remind me to, you know, work on this at 8 p.m. And, yeah. and so that just whatever systems make it easier for me to do those things. Is there any specific execution or practice like writing or the, the journaling Is there an aspect of that that helps you find that balance, that moderation? For me, there was a time where I was spending every single day working in my calligraphy. So that was really awesome. 
now with like multiple priorities, I, I, one thing I will do is every Sunday I make my weekly spread for my bullet journal and it's kind of a ritual thing. Um, so a couple things come together. That's when I really think about, okay, on my Google calendar, what is upcoming this week? Where are my heartbeats going? And that gets me in the right mindset. Where are my heartbeats going? Yeah. Love that. Yeah. And um, I think about, okay, so how do I plug in and make sure that I have made time for the things that I claim are important to me? And okay, who am I connecting with this week? Do I have movement in my week? <laughs> More, nah, you know, <laughs> on that one. But then I think about, um, okay, what events do I have going on? And then I can do like meal planning around that. And, and again, nothing too intense because I don't want to scare myself off like a spooked deer, but um, wanting to make sure that I am like at least getting my mind around what is upcoming. And then being able to slot in or move things to make make that better, more like how I want to live my life. It doesn't always work, you know, but I, I tend to overschedule like many of us do. But, yeah. you know, that's a ritual thing that I do at least on the weekly. And every day then it becomes an iterative process of like, okay, how did I spend my time today? Was that good? <laughs> how do I want to spend my time tomorrow? And then you know, be forgiving of myself if it doesn't end up that way. Mm -hmm. How do you find that balance between the plan and then allowing that space for spontaneity and for things that you don't expect? Yeah. There's a couple of things that I've like incorporated into my, my system that try to address that. Uh, for one, I keep my schedule on Google Calendar, which is very much more like post-it notes. You know, you move some stuff around and I look at it as like, okay, here are the couple of things that are definitely my anchors, the things that cannot be moved. Mm -hmm. And then some other stuff that's like a little bit more flexible, right? And so when people hear that I'm a, a planner or I blog about planning and organization stuff, they think that I'm very, very type A or very rigid, but actually understanding how I'm spending my time allows me to be much more flexible because then I, in my head, I can arrange and rearrange my time based on what comes up. Mm. Uh, so if someone wants to like hang out, I will always choose my relationships over my tasks. That's what matters to me. And so in my head, I can kind of do a quick recalibration of like, ooh, I can actually move this over to Friday and then I can make time for this, right? So it actually allows me more freedom. Hmm. Um, there's still always stuff that comes up that you're like, well, I did not see this coming. <laughs> um, so there, there's definitely a lot of times like that, but where I try to do some of those things. And um, I also try to give myself credit in my planner for the things that matter in my life. So the same way that I don't don't like people being commoditized into products, I also don't want my value in my life to be based on just the things that I accomplish. And so in my planner, being able to not only, yes, I do keep a task list and I check those things off. I also keep track of the things that I did that came up that wasn't originally on my list. I also try to write down funny things that happened 
put a little like gratitude in there because I think we have to also embrace the idea that we are more than what we do. And, um, so I try to incorporate that into my system to keep that in is a part of my life. Who are we? <laughs> Who are we? This is something I struggle with. Are we our intentions? Are we our actions? Are we the actions of our past or our future? This is something mm. I think about a lot of, are we the things we have? Are we whatever version of success we are? Like what yeah. you just said about we're not our action, you know, we're not what we accomplish every day. Mm -hmm. We can be kind to ourselves. We can do this. This is something I'm constantly trying to find balance with and I struggle with it. Yeah. And I think it's important that one of the other things that I try to break away from is false dichotomy, this or that, uh, because it's very limiting and doesn't leave room again, always about possibility, right? Um, because, I mean, if I, if I was to hypothetically answer your question, we aren't just our intentions because then you can excuse things like racism, <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, or, you know, discrimination. I didn't mean it, right. you know, oh, I didn't mean it like that. Yes. Right. So it's important that we also, well, yeah, that matters. And that's what we have a lot of control over sometimes. And then our actions, of course, like the impact of those actions too. And is it how we see ourselves or is it how others see us? Yeah. Who gets to make that up? You know, um, it's very, uh, that's a very interesting question that now I'm going to like think about for a very long time. Yeah. <laughs> um, because that's like kind of the world that I live in too is, is who are we and what is our purpose? I find that a lot of the time these conversations can become a bit ex existential in nature yes. simply because a lot of this stuff is so ex executional, mm -hmm. so practice-based. So, and I think there is, we need structure to discover a lot of these things, to find a rhythm for ourselves, depending mm -hmm. on your personality. Mm -hmm. And for me, structure helps a lot in a lot of ways, but it always comes to for what? Yes. <laughs> for whom? Yes. <laughs> like, where are we headed with this? And, uh, and that's what I find so fascinating. I know it's an almost impossible question to answer because this is what we're, we're all seeking, but yeah. I do find the conversation really interesting around that. Yes. Yeah. Um, especially that's where I get, um, kind of lost with the whole, the, all the classes you're, you're talking about, like how to be a better blogger or how to be an internet personality and like grow your YouTube channel. I'm like, for what? Uh, and that's the first question that I always ask when we talk about planning too, is like, okay, but like, what is this for? Mm -hmm. What do you want us to, what do you want this to accomplish? Um, just so that you are organized, organized for what? And that determines how, how the why determines the how. And, um, I don't want to blindly just follow numbers just to have more numbers. Yep. But I mean, that's up to each person to figure out, right? That's, it's, it might be that for someone else, but it's not for me. Mm -hmm. Of course, I love intellectual conversations and existential things. And I do have to acknowledge that that in and of itself is a very specific thing that people get to do when all their basic needs are met mm -hmm. and when they're unencumbered by, you know, um, disadvantage and 
like bearing a lot of the pain of what's happening in the world right now. And it's absolutely a privilege to be able to dissect and think about the ways that we want to live versus just needing to execute on living. Absolutely. So I think that's one thing that's been really missing in some of these process and minimalism conversations is, is that acknowledgement that not everyone has that choice, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, I did. I have been seeing some articles recently, specifically around the minimalism space saying, I'll take your stuff. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. In your pursuit of this, you know? Yeah. Of, Oh, you find joy by getting rid of all your excess. <laughs> like, and I think some of that is, uh, I think that's, let me, let me backtrack. I think that's absolutely valid. I do believe that a lot of the, the text around the joy of less, right, comes from people that are trying to find definition of themselves in the things they own and find success through the acquisition of things. And mm-hmm. for me that I did view, I did used to really want a BMW and I really used to want a lot of those things. And there are aspects of having a really nice car that I would probably like now, but we'd probably only have one of them. Right. <laughs> you know, so I, I don't know that there are different aspects to this, but I think one thing that is glazed over is that there is joy in stepping out of that in, in there is joy in, learning to realize that you have enough. And for me, there is joy in helping others in as many ways as possible. Mm-hmm. As someone who has sort of acknowledged and found themselves going through a particular checkbox mm-hmm. process and is now continuing, continually rediscovering what it means to not do that or to balance that, what does success sound or look like to you at this point in your life? Oh, what a great question. And this is evolving. I expect this to be an evolving answer. But. Oh yeah. Um, cause at the beginning I started this not knowing what to expect, right? I never do. And so one of my favorite mantras is like, start before you're ready. And even though I'm, I'm a planner blogger, I'm like, you know, don't, don't need to have all the, all the things planned out. And I think I discovered things about me that I was able to do that I never thought I'd be able to do. And I think success for me is always being able to revisit the question, right? Is, is it true or is it habit? And being able to have that kind of agency over my own life to be able to redefine that over time. Um, for me, it's about being able to have choice, being able to travel. <laughs> That's a huge one. And like explore, you know, it doesn't always have yes. to be like a way in like a whole new part of the globe, but to explore. And I think a lot of that is rooted in choice. I think, yeah. I found that success is one of those things that can be a moving target. I saw a quote recently that was, I think intended to be a motivational quote. (laughs) There's a lot of those. (laughs) And it said, um, it said, remember when you wanted what you have now, remember when you wanted what you have today or something like that. And I started thinking about that (laughs) and I was like, okay, 
in one sense, I have a lot of the things. So I have like 50,000 subscribers on YouTube. And that's one thing that would blow my mind two or three years ago when I uploaded my first video with terrible lighting and all these things that I was so self-conscious about and, and almost afraid to put out there in a way. But now I see other people and I'm comparing and I'm like, wait, is this successful? Am I happy with what I have now? Or is this the thing? I very much had this impression across the idea of success yeah. of you do a thing at some point you become successful and the idea of traditional retirement or, or, oh, you, you get to a point and then it's easy. It becomes easy at that point. And at least I've not yet found any of that to be true. I realized that, wait a minute, I'm not making YouTube videos so that I can stop making YouTube videos at some point once I'm successful. That's, mm. that's not why I'm here. I'm making YouTube videos and hoping that my channel grows and people enjoy and, and get immense value from what I create because I want to keep making YouTube videos yeah. <laughs> so that people can get value and joy from what I create. And I get a satisfaction of making the things I want to make and having that be this thing that that is my hopefully positive impact on the world. Yeah. And that difference to me, letting go of that idea has been the idea that at some point you hit a success factor or whatever that is. And then all of a sudden, oh, I'm just going to get through this period of time. And then once I hit this number of subscribers, things will get easier things or things <laughs> will, it hasn't happened yet. No. And I am realizing that this is all part of it. It just gets bigger maybe. Yeah. And then you take on doing a podcast yeah. and then that is a new challenge and then it grows. Uh, so that's just been something that I've been thinking about a lot, realizing that I'm doing the things I'm doing because I want to be doing them and I should probably do my best to enjoy them now oh instead of waiting to enjoy the process at some indetermined time in the future. Yes. And that's how I also feel about the struggle is like, if I just push through, if I just hustle hard enough right now, then I'll get to that point and then yeah. I can breathe. And I'm like, uh-uh, no. Mm -mm. How many times? Yeah, how many yeah. times? And and how many times am I going to burn out before I realize that it's just going to be, this is just the way that I live my life, <laughs> you yeah, know? This is life now. Yeah, this is currently my life. Am I enjoying it? Is this working? And I also want to say too, like, to, because I think you're right. Like, there's never going to be this point where like, you hit it and you're like, oh, well, great moved on. Yeah. Um, it just looks different. And, um, the other side of that too, like, I think it's intending to help us be more grateful and like about where we are, but it also, we have to leave room t for the critique of, I wanted this at one point and I might not any longer. Mm -hmm. Um, and like, yeah, I did want this at some point. And now I'm, I'm realizing like what is really important to me. And I, I used to be really, really diligent about posting videos or blog posts on Sundays and Thursdays. And then I was going through a really hard time in my life. I gave myself permission to go down to once a week. And then, and then I was like, wait, why am I doing this? And give myself permission now to just like post whenever the hell I feel like it. Mm -hmm. I am being punished for that via the algorithm. Yep. Yes. And 
I, I will stop creating if I let myself be governed by that as a factor. So I have to accept the loss on that. Yeah. I can say that though, because this, this side hustle is not my livelihood. Mm -hmm. So that there is a difference in my choice in that. So I will acknowledge that too. Yeah. You bring up a, a very good point. It is an interesting thing for creators on YouTube specifically because to Google's credit, who owns YouTube, it is one of the only platforms that partners directly with creators without any special circumstances. You make videos, they get views. If you run ads on them, Google splits the money with you. That's just what it is. And so to their credit, Facebook isn't doing that. No one else really that I know of at least is doing that exact structure. So that's a pretty cool thing, despite it being an exclusively advertiser run model. But on the flip side of that, it's an interesting thing because you build up a bunch of videos about one topic. And then if you, and then you have perhaps an audience around that topic. And then if you do something that's not on that topic, it definitely won't get as many views because maybe people are expecting a certain thing from you, or maybe the algorithm says, well, this is your type of video, so we can't recommend your other stuff with this or whatever it is, or if you're not uploading as frequently. And what I found is the pressure in me, what comes from that is it makes me feel like I need to keep doing stuff on the same topic mm -hmm. over and over and over again, just so that my channel will continue viewing, growing, which ironically then brings in more people about that one topic and it continues and continues. And being a, a person that wants to be talking about multiple things, YouTube reinforces not doing that in a lot of ways. And so that's something that I now am starting to push against and go, you know what? I, I want to make videos about creating things. I want to make things about minimalism, about letting go of things and about doing things habits. Right. Yes. And, and so that's been an interesting thing, but what have you seen? Have you seen oh with the, the algorithm? Like if you're not uploading consistently, it just, everything drops or. Yeah. It's, it's very, it's frustrating. Cause like for Instagram, where I really am, it's like this moving target of like, what is the algorithm? And mm -hmm. like, there's people who do courses and, and discussions about how to figure out the algorithm. And I find for your YouTube example, that is also similar in the Instagram world where you are rewarded for doing similar things, not only to yourself because, you know, whatever niching down, mm -hmm. but also similar to other popular posts in that realm as well. So like you're recommended. So then you get recommended, right? And so yeah. then you just start seeing like 500,000 of the same images. So it's a really weird thing that I think ends up promoting sameness because you are like, oh, that works. I, we should keep doing that and you're rewarded for it with likes, with more ad revenue on YouTube, with more whatever. And I'm like, that is exactly why society is the way it is. Because yeah. maybe it's not ad revenue in real life. It is the like pats on the back for good job in, in, as a teenager. Maybe it's um, you are you know, going to get that promotion at work because you're just following through the process, right? Like there's, there's so many other ways that we're rewarded in our real lives in the same way. Sameness. You have to like continue being the same so that people aren't like thrown off by like, whoa, you didn't used to do that or whatever. And, or when you ever, you see people that you knew from high school 
that are different, but you're, they never get the chance to be different. Because you're holding that. Absolutely. And like the system works the way that it's built, right? So we're always going to kind of, unless we're actively working against it, which I think you are, um, we're, we fall into it until you hit a point where like you can't stand it anymore, <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, that is a frustrating thing. And, um, I think there is an increasing pushback on it, you know, the same way that I think people are pushing back by adding more real talk and the realities of the process into their stuff. I think there's also mm-hmm. increasing push against that kind of like algorithm bullshit that you yeah. are finding. I have to wonder the the idea of Facebook and, and these other platforms optimizing with the algorithm, with the concept of how do we get you to spend more time on this platform? That is their goal because to them, attention is revenue. Mm -hmm. So they're optimizing it in a way that gives us what they hope is exactly what we would want to see. And then I see that now over the last decade of, of these platforms and things being a major part of our lives basically feeding into the current divisiveness of, mm-hmm. of where we are because we're just seeing being fed more and more and more of just what we want to see. And so in a way, if you think about television, right, way back, at least when there are fewer options for television, even television, you'd be channel surfing and just kind of like come across some weird documentary yes. late at night or something. And it's something you never would have probably chosen to watch, but you just kind of watch it and you'd become informed about a thing maybe based on that filmmaker's perspective. Yes. And it feels as though that might be happening less and less and less mm-hmm. because of the drive for sameness. Right. And, and so if we are rewarded as content creators to get more views, what's unfortunately happening is like you can even see it from the ways that movies were made back then the ways that movies are made now what keeps our attention increasing amounts of flashiness quick pans there's never a single shot anything anymore um because you're just trying to like be into like keeping their attention so the same thing is happening with everything else everyone's trying to be a little more flashy a little faster a little better brighter bolder more and more shocking yes so clickbait is real but like the ways that we've structured things now it's like oh you know so and so totally shuts down so and so for this comment and it's become that and it and then that gets the clicks and then which feeds that a little bit more and so people are more incentivized to do more of that Mm -hmm. but even more so (laughs) this is nuts it's not sustainable we're gonna crash and burn um, and you're right. It totally adds into the divisiveness and, and like one word is going to trigger a whole. Oh, yeah. Here's a fun practice for mm. the, for the movies TV thing. Next time you're watching a show either on Netflix or on TV or wherever, do a fun little activity where you count between angle changes. Oh my God. So camera change to a new angle. One, two, three. Up, change. One, two. New scene. One, two. Oh my gosh. It doesn't go beyond three seconds. Like, if you think about art, right? 
a play theater, you're on the same set for like 45 minutes. Yes. You're not getting scene changes and you have one just uh, in film. It's like the two shot, you know, <laughs> yes. and, uh, and it's not changing at all. And it is evolving exactly what you said uh, it, to where it has to be. We need new angles, quick change this just to hold our attention with it. And even with that, half the time we're on our phones on social media at the same time while watching this stuff. And, and it's, it's crazy. And I do wonder to what end, what is the apex of this acceleration, this faster, faster, faster. Yes. I'm, and being guilty of some of those things myself. And I find myself going through like ebbs and flows of how often I'm checking my phone. And that's, um, me almost like the more that you tell me to do something, the more that I'm going to do the opposite. So, you know, um, the more that I feel pressure to need to post consistently online, the less I want to do it. And because like, again, for what, right? Like this whole thing was supposed to celebrate my progress and my process. And it's become like this weird, when your passion becomes your job thing, um, and all the expectations that go along with it, you almost have to actively be like, no, <laughs> no, um, in order to like have some sense of control because that acceleration thing, unless we all start to put a hard stop on it, we're going down. And like yeah. people can't read emails anymore that are longer than two paragraphs. People can't read real articles anymore. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, I find that seeping into my own consciousness as well. Totally, yeah. Um, and I'm really thinking about the losses around that. So I'm trying to, I don't know, find things that I can incorporate into my daily practice to encourage yeah. the hard stop. But it's very hard. It's it very is. hard. Well, that's the thing. We, we need to really be careful with this stuff and not even shame ourselves because it feels heavy. Like, oh, I know this. I'm, I just need to scroll right now. You know, <laughs> yeah. like... It feels good, and these things have literally been designed this way. There's no ethical committee. There's no uh, department of attention to, to regulate the ways that our psychology can be triggered to direct it to a thing that other people want us to direct it to. And so right now, the new competition is addiction, and it's this competitive advantage to create something that triggers us at a psychological level to do it and to use it. Oh my gosh. And we're getting more emails than ever because email is the now primary way that companies reach out to us. I send out a monthly newsletter, um, most months and, <laughs> you know, and, and things like that. And so now we're getting more emails than ever. So of course now we're going to have trouble with even longer format things. And we're being conditioned to appreciate just the fast, the quick. And so, uh, do you, here's a question. Do you listen to podcasts on, on like normal speed? If you listen to podcasts oh, or a time so and funny. a half, <laughs> um, most of the time, because I forget that that's a feature most of the time, uh -huh. um, I will listen to it at normal pace, but then I, I do for like eBooks 1.25. Yeah. Any more than that, you kind of lose the quality of what's yeah. happening, yeah. but like, yeah, the, the, the appeal, people are like, yeah, and then you can listen to even more books. And I'm like, <laughs> right. you're assuming that's a good thing. <laughs> um, and the underlying assumption under all of these things, right, is that more, faster, more productive is better. Mm -hmm. 
mm-hmm. more output is better. Mm-hmm. Um, but it promotes such a pace of life that you're, because you're trying to, you know, be more fit, eat more like raw foods and sustainably and going to the farmer's market and also right. like, whoa, going to sleep and having friends. Yeah. And you're trying to do all of these things and you're just so tired that all you can do is scroll. And combine that with perfect images of everyone else's lives that we compare ourselves to. And you've got this world and we wonder why uh, generationally we're struggling with anxiety and struggling with lack, feeling like we aren't <laughs> keeping oh my up. Gosh, and, yes. and you could kind of see some answers there. Yes. You start seeing some things. Absolutely. And um it is a little terrifying if I think about it for too long. <laughs> uh so I um it, it's a symptom of like why we end up filling up all of our time. Mm-hmm. Right? Because it, uh, we are so used to the stimulus that the lack of stimulus is a lack, right? My friend asked me once, he's like, do you see empty space in your calendar as uh, an emptiness or an entity? Hmm. That space can be an entity just as negative space is like intentionally there for balance in an art piece, as pauses are there for balance in a spoken word piece or poetry, music it's just as important but really hard to put in practice because i think underlying all that we have this uh, software that's told us that if we stop moving we are stagnating we are falling behind we are falling short of our potential we are you know wasting time Mm -hmm. because our time has been commoditized to that point that you don't have time to just like go to the park and read, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, or we also don't want to deal with like those feelings in relationship to the, the lack. To what end? That's what I keep asking myself. And that's something I want to continue to explore through these conversations. And, and um, <laughs> about the, the 1.5 speed, <laughs> my friend Kate Flanders and I had this conversation uh, about not listening to it at 2x speed anymore there may be people listening to this conversation right now at one and a half speed and i'm totally not judging at all totally thank you for listening <laughs> but i will say that i used to do the one and a half speed thing on podcasts because it's like i can listen to an hour-long thing in much shorter time and it's efficient and and then your brain this is the crazy part is my brain adjusted to hearing speech at time and a half whoa and it sounded completely normal to me after several books, after several things, I could not differentiate between just that and listening to a normal thing until I started listening to them at one X speed again, which is what I do generally in practice. Now, after a conversation with Kate, she's like, I'm not rushing through this book. I'm not yeah. here to just blast through this as quickly as possible. I want to hear it as the author intended to to have it read or, or mm. listen to it in this way. And I just found that to be interesting. Yeah. And now it sounds crazy slow to me. People say I talk too slow <laughs> in some of my videos and they have to watch it at someone said three X speed, okay, which doesn't even, like, that doesn't even <laughs> exist first of all. But, uh, but that's part of it because actually only 30% of my audience is in the U S 
30 to 40% is in the US. And so that's wild. So a lot of people that watch my videos, apparently I know don't actually speak English as their first language. And so I'm okay speaking a little more slowly slowly and and stuff. So it it is interesting. They just are like, so maybe we baseline your speech not as the slow, but at just normal. Maybe. You know, because I've gotten the same feedback. Yeah. She talks too much at the beginning of these videos. And I'm like, you can always skip <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> the first part of these videos. Um, and I, I think that's like those little actions of trying to just subvert the massive pressure of how we're supposed to live our lives faster. Mm-hmm. Um, Better, faster, stronger. Yeah. yeah. I know we've talked about minimalism before. What does that look like for you or how have you interacted with it in your own life? My family really likes to provide. Okay, that's their love language. It's not saying I love you. It is providing me with all the material things to make my life comfortable. And I remember bringing all that crap back with me to grad school. Finally getting it all out of the car and it's like in my living room and I'm watching an episode of Hoarders. Oh, very good choice. And I just started panicking. I like looked around me in my living room to see boxes and bins of just shit. And I'm like, oh my God, we got to, we're throwing away everything right now. And um, that made me like face head on just how much I was surrounded by that I didn't actually need. It was all the just in case and, you know, we think you'll need this. And so be prepared. And I had seven skillets. Mm. How do I have seven skillets? <laughs> okay. And, um, so I could, I just like... I don't think any stoves have seven burners. Right. <laughs> I know. <laughs> what is it? Do I just not want to do dishes? I don't know. So I think... Um, that marked the beginning of a very long, slow process of just unpacking my relationship to buying new things, to, to the idea of like secondhand things and, um, how I want to spend my time and my energy. And I, and I often fail at the whole, like, stop buying new stuff. Like I just struggle hardcore with that. So I admire you a lot for that. And it's energizing every time we talk about that real (laughs) real quick uh i still buy like film equipment things that help me create i still am subjected to that impulse so i do not want people to think that i've like fixed my thing oh yeah break the twitch is a practice yes so i just want to interject there (laughs) but please continue yeah and so i think the the one thing that i'm trying to take away from all that is mindfulness so that at least when that urge happens i'm at least able to see it happening in myself whether or not i can change track is a whole other thing but um i really appreciate when i read your book the whole impulse to buy something first before you do anything else Mm. and interrupting that. And sometimes I just like troll myself when I go and like buy things. So I like go to the store and I'm like, you know, thinking about buying this like new set of like paint or whatever. And I say to myself, well, Jessica, how about you actually like start painting first (laughs) before you buy all this stuff to go along with it? And I just think back to that lesson in your book all the time. um, And it has stopped me from... And it's a sobering thought, right? Like you realize like, wow, I was going to spend all this money on a habit I have not formed yet. (laughs) The the false first step. Uh, Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So I I have at least thought about that where I'm like, okay, I 
in comparison to all these people I follow, want to be good at all these things. But back to the practice part, what am I willing to actually do to be good at that or to make that something that's part of my daily life, right? Mm -hmm. Like what is the suffering I'm willing to endure to make this happen? Um, So trying to get a handle on that. Um, It's a balance. It's a practice. Yeah. Oh yeah. There's no, well, I'm cured. Yeah. I'm done with consumerism now. (laughs) Right. You know, there's a, there's always this balance and, and practice with it because I buy things that allow me to create either create experiences, create relationships, create content. I guess I hate that word content, but that's just the first that came to mind for this stuff. Videos, things that allow me to create. Mm-hmm. I could literally justify anything with that. Oh yeah. Oh, a new camera? Well, it'll allow me to create in 4K instead of 1080p, you know, and obviously that's, but we can, we have to sort of play these games with ourselves to, to find that balance. And and that's the practice. I totally get it. Yeah. I totally get it. How many brush pens do I really need to own? How many notebooks do I really need to own? And, um, I, I think that has been, in a world, especially if, if the side hustle is like content creation and you're rewarded for creating more and more and more. Also remembering to be grateful and appreciative of what has already been created mm-hmm. and the, the purpose of why you're creating. That's so hard. Yeah. Um, but I think the pursuit of it is worthwhile. And I think, um, I think that's why I'm not an extreme person. Like I want to do it in moderation because it's that cycle, that, that kind of negative impact of like, uh, the more you strive is the cause of your unhappiness. Yes. Uh, the more, the more you strive, the more you feel in lack yes. and yet there's, there's joy in the pursuit, mm-hmm. but not if you, always feel like it's over there. Yes. Well, what are you looking forward to these days? What are you excited about? Oh, there's so many things. I think um, one of the greatest things about deciding to jump into this whole side hustle world is that I get to connect with really cool people. And this upcoming season of things, I'm, I'm really excited to get to do more of the merging of the two worlds I love. Hmm. teaching and this other, you know, creative planning and calligraphy stuff. So I get to like go and, um, do workshops at conferences and, uh, classes with, with different people and, um, get to spend time with people getting in touch with their artistic selves and their ability to write their own story. Mm-hmm. So there's that a new semester's beginning. So I get a whole new crop of students and that is always a a wild ride and one that I love very much. That's great. Yeah. So where's the best place for people to find you and your work online? People can find me online in a number of places. I'm mainly on Instagram and my handle is pretty prints and paper as in paper and not the artist formerly known as, um, and a blog by the same name. I'm also on YouTube, but, um, you'll find me a lot, um, teaching around the Minneapolis area, um, and, and fun stuff like that. Cool. And I'll link to all of those places in the description of the podcast episode and the video, of course, as well. I think it's time to grab a question from the question vessel. Oh, vessel. 
So dramatic. It's behind you. Mm. And if you want to grab it, you can grab it. So these are questions that have been submitted by some folks on YouTube, Ooh. previous guests, and then Amy and I kicked off some questions in there too. So they're such fun colors. I want this one. There it is. Yeah. Some people have dumped them out, so you can just... I Meanwhile, I just wrestle it from the grips yep. of this cup. So yeah, if you want to go for it, if you want to read it, if there's a name under it, you can read that too, who it's from. Mm. Uh, when do you get your best ideas and where? Mm -hmm. I think because I am running around a lot and really spread thin a lot, it is moments where I'm more still. It is when I force myself to like go away from my computer and I grab a piece of paper and a couple markers and I start to sketch note, like I draw ideas and how they connect. And then my brain starts rapid fire. Like, oh, then that means this and that is connected to this and that means we could do this. And um, when I'm able to get to a blank sheet of paper and not be bothered by my email, my Facebook or whatever, is that I can focus in and, and see connections show up on, on the page mm -hmm. of my own doing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Oh, that's a great answer. Well, I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Jessica as much as I did. And of course, as usual, I'll be highlighting something from the conversation, but first, you probably know that reviews are essential to getting the word out about podcasts like this one. So if you are enjoying the podcast, I would really appreciate a review on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, whatever player you're using, that would be of great help to me. For those of you that have left reviews already, I greatly appreciate it. Thank you. The thing that I really want to talk about around this conversation is the idea of boxes. Like, what are the boxes that we are checking off, and why are we checking off those boxes? They may be small, they may be big. Sometimes they're those big boxes in life, like get a college degree, or get this particular job, or get this promotion, or get this professional certification. Or sometimes they're just small, like checking off a certain box because you woke up in the morning, and this is what you've always done when you wake up in the morning. Little things like that. I think there's a huge opportunity that we all have to question and identify the boxes that we are checking and really wonder why it is that we are, again, checking those boxes. Is it because our parents expected us to do something? Is it because our friends, our family are also checking those boxes? It's perfectly fine to go through and do the things that we feel like we're supposed to do if they are the things that are making us happy. But a lot of the time, I think it's really easy to just kind of mindlessly go through and check the boxes because it looks like the next step. But it's not always the right step for us. So I would challenge you to think about what boxes you may be checking without really thinking about it, without really processing, is this actually something I want to be doing? Is this taking me further away from the direction that I actually want to go? That's just a little something you might be able to consider and have it change some of your thought processes around the small actions and the big ones in your day-to-day -day life.
All right, if you're listening to this podcast in your favorite podcast player, just want you to know there are full video versions of these interviews available at youtube.com slash break the twitch, along with other shorter three to five minute videos that highlight a lot of this stuff, a lot of the learnings, takeaways, all that good stuff. If you're on YouTube right now watching, you can also get this podcast anywhere podcasts are found. Hope you have a wonderful day, wonderful week, and we will see you in the next one.